My real strategy now, Reed, is a buy and hold strategy. And I own uh, single family homes. I own a couple of apartment complexes and um, um, my first mobile home park. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Guys, are you having a hard time finding and sourcing great single-family cash-flowing properties? I bet you're finding it hard to locate a good cash-flowing deal in your local market, right? Well, on this show, we are all about successful investing. And successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets with the right team. Here at Investing in the US podcast, we have joined forces with that right team, which is Narada Real Estate. The team at Narada Real Estate specializes in finding great cash-flowing single-family properties across different markets within the United States. Their proven systems have provided sustained passive income and long-term wealth for their clients. Check out naradarealestate.com to find out more. That is N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. today's show, we are taking a macro look at real estate here in the US in general, and what are the pros and cons of the different types of investment properties? The expert in the hot seat today to answer all my questions and give you the straightforward information is Jason Hartman. G'day, Jason. Welcome to the show. Good day, mate. <laughs> I'm probably doing a really bad imitation there, aren't I? No, that's, that's, that's fine. I love people when they give it a, give it a crack. <laughs> Americans love accents. I know. You know I... Accents from almost everywhere. And, uh, and our friends down under are, are great. When I went to Australia uh, years ago, I remember landing there on Christmas Day in Sydney. And I left LA. I grew up in Los Angeles where you are now. And I left LA. It was like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I got to the, I was in Bondi Beach in Australia wearing a Santa hat with a bathing suit, white as a ghost. And, uh, and TV cameras were out on the beach, uh, you know, on a beautiful 82 degree Fahrenheit Australian Christmas day. And, um, I remember I got on Australian TV. <laughs> oh, wow. What's, what, what show were you on? I don't remember. It was okay. just like the seven o'clock news or something, <laughs> right, you know, right. six o'clock news. And I, I remember I, I went back to the hotel that night and saw myself on TV. I thought that was cool. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, so for all your listeners out there who might not know who Jason is and all his successes, let me give you a brief introduction because, you know, Jason, he is he, he owns a massive empire of real estate investing goodies. So Jason is the founder of Platinum Properties Investor Network, uh, the Hartman Media Foundation, and the Jason Hartman Foundation, a resource for developing financial literacy in, and encouraging young investors. Jason has been successfully investing in real estate for 20 years. He's a published speaker, author, and media personality. Uh, he com His complete solution for real estate investors has helped hundreds of people achieve their dream 
for financial freedom by purchasing income properties the prudent way. He is also the host of a cracking podcast with listeners in over 164 countries called The Creating Wealth Show. So who else better to have on my show talking to all you eager international investors about investing in US real estate? (laughs) But Jason, before we dive into all the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being such a successful real estate entrepreneur? Uh, well, I want to just correct oh, uh, one sure thing, thing real quickly in your intro. It's definitely thousands and thousands of investors, not wow. hundreds. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And the, the Hartman Media Company does all the podcasting and the real estate company uh, helps all the clients invest nationwide. So something people might not know about me, gosh, there's a lot of things they don't know. Uh, you know, one thing you haven't mentioned, I'm a huge like world traveler. I've been to 79 countries so far and I, I uh, really think it's very important to see the world and understand different cultures. So that's uh, that's that's one of my big things. I I guess you could call it a hobby. I sort of consider it an obligation in a way, uh-huh. uh, but uh, but love doing it. So yeah. fantastic! I'm a I'm a huge traveler myself. I'm, I'm I live in a different country, but uh, I love traveling and opening my mind up to different things. Um, with that being said, do you want to give us a more in depth look at the man behind the empire? Uh, and can you explain a bit about your background, where you've come from, and how you just got started successfully investing in real estate? Obviously, you just haven't fallen into it, or, or maybe you have. Yeah. So um, when I was 16 years old, I saw an infomercial for a real estate guru. I grew up in Los Angeles, kind of poor, didn't have much money in the way of resources and stuff. I was fascinated by this guy's infomercial. I bought his book. I read three chapters. I put it down. Uh, my mom picked it up, though. And two years later, I'm now 18, getting ready to graduate from high school. My mom says, hey, you got me into this real estate stuff, Jason. There's a seminar this weekend by Disneyland in Anaheim, California. Why don't you go? So I went to the seminar. And um, I really got quite fascinated by the subject. And when I was 19, a year later now, um, in my first year of college, I got my real estate license and started just selling real estate part time. I worked for Century 21 in Anaheim, and I, uh, I I put little classified ads in the Orange County Register newspaper and uh, had people call my voicemail and leave a message. I was advertising government repo properties, HUD and VA repos. HUD is the uh, Housing and Urban Development Department. VA is the Veterans Administration. And when someone gets an FHA loan or a VA loan, a government-insured loan, and they default and don't pay, HUD and VA ends up owning their house ultimately. Okay. And so I would sell these really crappy repossessed properties that were boarded up. They were disgusting. They were awful. And a lot of my, I had some clients that were first time buyers, but a lot of them were investors. And I really liked working with the investors quite well. And I remember, you know, of course I got into real estate because I was interested in investing, not being a a real estate agent or broker. Right. And so uh, about six months after I'm in the business, I'm now 20 years old. One of my clients by the name of Jim Wool, who had purchased a couple of properties from me said, you know, he said, came to me and said, you know, Hey Jason, one of these properties I bought from you, I don't like it very much. It's a it's a one bedroom condo in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, why don't you take the listing and and sell it for me, and I'll buy something else from you. That's what he said. And I said, you know, Jim, I don't want to sell it for you. I want to buy it from you. And that was my first investment property at age 20. I was still living at home uh, with my mom and uh, and didn't have any plans to move out. Uh, I, I was living at home, but I had my first rental, my first income property. And I just, over the years, I've just purchased investment properties like crazy. I've done a lot of flips. I've done a lot of buy and holds. My real strategy now, Reed, is a buy and hold strategy. And I own 
uh, single family homes. I own a couple of apartment complexes and um, um, my first mobile home park. So uh, that, that's what I'm into. I like housing, housing, housing. I'm not into commercial property, and I'll tell you the reason for that. I think that at the end of the day, everybody needs a place to live. Um, they can work at home at lessening the need for office space. They can buy online, lessening the need for retail properties. Uh, the companies can offshore their workers to places like China, the workshop of the world, lessening the need for industrial properties. But the population is increasing in the U.S., and everybody needs a place to live. It's a fundamental human need. It's literally part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, clothing, shelter. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's not Maslow's hierarchy exactly, but safety and security is, and, and that's shelter. And, uh, you know, let them rent that shelter from you. I mean, I, I love buy and hold rental properties. They're my favorite. Right, right. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, and this is a huge driving point that I tell all my international investors, you know, the, the barriers to entry here in the United States are a lot lower compared to say in Australia or, or England when buying cracking, you know, cash flow deals. And you're right, everyone needs a place to live. So, you know, this sort of segues into the pros and cons of, of, of today's topic and, and what what are the pros and cons of individual investments. So let's start at the beginning. You just briefly touched on um, why you like residential. Um, but do you want to talk a little bit about the different types of real estate investments you can purchase here in the United States and, and just go into a little bit more of, of your why factor of, of you like to buy, provide housing for people and you know, cash flowing properties? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I've got to ask you first, Reid, I've got to ask you to define something for me because I'm, there's a new terminology I'm learning from doing your interview. What does cracking mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's, my little, it's my little way of saying just uh, one of those out-of-the-park you can crack it out of the park deals. It it it, it awesome. works on all levels. It, it, it's a piping hot deal. Put it that way. Yeah. Well. Well, I tell you, we're gonna we're gonna start telling our clients that they should buy some of our cracking deals. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. So basically, we like linear cash flowing markets. These conservative markets that don't make the news. They're certainly not Los Angeles, California. In fact, they're not anywhere in California at all. They're not in South Florida. They're not in the expensive markets in the Northeast or really anywhere in the Pacific Northwest like Oregon or Washington State. These are markets that just sort of chug along and do their thing. They're markets where you can buy a property, a single family home. By the way, I should mention we don't like condos. Condos have too many issues. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying I'll never buy a condo. I, I do occasionally, but it's got to be a really good deal to offset the fact that it's a condo. Okay. So single family homes, I believe are the most historically proven asset class in all world history. And uh, I, I know that may be a bold statement, single family homes, the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. And uh, we like markets like Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas is the most landlord-friendly state in the entire country. It is the only state where tenants can actually be arrested for not paying their rent. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, not that you'd ever want to have one of your tenants arrested, but just the fact that that's like out there, it's a really old law, it'll, it will probably change pretty soon. Um, but the fact that people know that, 
makes them better citizens. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they, they, they're more like pay their rent. Um, we like some of the believe it or not, we like some of the Chicago land areas that are low price. The taxes are rather high there. The um, climate is not as landlord friendly as Arkansas by a long shot, but it's not too bad. And it's the only market really in the U.S. that has this sort of hybrid aspect. So when I look at the entire world of real estate, and this applies anywhere on planet Earth, it applies to Sydney, Melbourne, uh, the Gold Coast, Paris, London, uh, Frankfurt, uh, New York, L.A., uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, Chicagoland, Memphis, whatever. Okay, anywhere in the world, markets can be divided into three categories. Linear, that's what I mentioned that we like the most. Cyclical, and that's the high-flying markets, Paris, London, New York, L.A., uh, you know, those kinds of markets that are too expensive. They just don't work from a cash flow perspective, and they have big ups and downs, and they become very risky for investors. And so we, we don't like those markets. And then between the two is what we call a hybrid market. So as the name would imply, it's a little bit of both. It's got an aspect of both uh, the linear and the cyclical to it. And some of the Chicago land areas are hybridish markets because it's really the only sort of world-class city where you can buy a property that actually makes sense, even though taxes are high and I don't like high taxes and it's not as landlord-friendly as our other markets, but boy, you can catch an appreciation cycle there and have good cash flow uh, to boot. So you kind of have a double uh, a double benefit there. Another market we love is Atlanta, Georgia. It's gotten a little expensive, but it's still good. Uh, Orlando, Florida is great. Memphis, Tennessee, awesome. We've done tons of business in Memphis. We like Birmingham, Alabama, and we like Indianapolis, Indiana. That's been a perennial favorite. I've been doing business in Indianapolis for about 10 years now. Fantastic. Wow. You've just hit on some incredible cities and I love what you talked about, the cyclical and linear markets. And I do try and get that point across to people who are international investors and understanding that from a macro point of view, you know, the United States has, you know, 400 markets and within those 400 markets, they have sub markets and within those sub markets, they have different streets and neighborhoods and, and there's just so many different ways to look, to cut up the pie and look at the U S real estate uh, as a as a macro point of view, uh, and then that, and then you know taking that one step further and assessing whether that individual real estate asset is right for that international investor. So, do you want to talk about um, what people should be looking when purchasing an investment property here in the United States? You talk about the cyclical market, but what about like just in terms of the the numbers and and what what makes sense and why you like buying in the types of uh, areas you like buying. Yeah, absolutely. So if I go and I'm just literally doing this live, I'm going to jasonhartman.com and I'm just clicking on the properties section of our website. And, you know, right now, for example, you can buy a, uh, let me pick a good one here. Uh, you can buy a property for $85,000 in the greater Atlanta, Georgia area. Okay. And, uh, this property is, uh, these are all, all of our properties. There occasionally is an exception. So I really shouldn't say all. Uh, but, uh, because our investor wants the exception and that's why. Uh, but pretty much all of our properties are completely rehabbed. They're all updated. Um, and fixed up. And there are different levels of rehab based on different uh, affiliates we work with and, and in different markets. But this property is an example. It's a 2,000 square foot home. 
2,000 square feet for $85,000 in a very nice neighborhood, you're only paying $43 per square foot, far less than the cost of construction. So you're insulated there. I, I created something I call the Hartman Risk Evaluator. I Actually, I really didn't create it. In a way, I discovered it after 19 years in the business. And that's based on a, a model that I I call the LTI ratio or the land to improvement ratio, which is a, 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 I made up that phrase, okay, because I think it explains a way that investors can dramatically reduce their risk when they invest by investing in low land value markets where the component of the structure or the house or the apartment sitting on the land is the major part of the cost because that construction cost doesn't really fluctuate as dramatically as the land component does. And that's why that's why linear markets sort of chug along and just appreciate nicely over time. And cyclical markets have really glorious highs and really ugly lows. And and they they become far more risky. So going back to this example, you know, $43 per square foot, far below the cost of construction, which is going to be probably about $80 per square foot. And the projected rent on this property for $85,000 is $940 per month, more than 1% of the value. If, if you know, all the expenses are maintained and, and that, that rent happens, then the, the net cash flow should be about $260 per month. And the overall, or $3,900 per year almost, and the overall cash on cash return on this deal would be 14%. Uh, and, and that's based on 25% down. Now, for a foreign investor, you're not, you're probably not going to get 25% down. Okay, that's very unlikely, and you know this well, uh, because it's what you do. But foreign investors can get some decent private sources where they can put 50% down, so they can buy two houses instead of one. And uh, in fact, I actually personally finance some of these foreign national investors uh, myself uh, because I, I have a lending company that where I'm loaning my own money, and sometimes I finance their purchase of the properties. And uh, you know, these these are the type of properties read that just they they follow. Uh, I have my ten commandments of successful investing, and commandment number five is thou shalt not gamble. In other words, the property must make sense the day you buy it without anything extraordinary having to occur like appreciation. It's, it's just got to make sense from day one. And, uh, you know, that these, these just make sense from day one. You've got, if things go badly, you, you're still going to do okay, <laughs> okay? You, you're, you're not going to get devastated even if you have higher than the projected one-month vacancy per year and and you asked your question really was what should uh, what should foreign investors look for right and they should watch out for people that number one don't standardize their data uh, we use a wonderful program called PropertyTracker.com and it basically standardizes the data so that every property looks the same in terms of its math and if you learn how to read one sheet this one page performa then you will become very good at analyzing properties. So standardize the data. Do not accept different promoters and people trying to sell you stuff out there that give you property information in these random formats where you have to be a detective to figure out what am I really buying here? 
you know, and, and, and do not accept Excel spreadsheets because the formulas could be wrong in there. And you, you know, you just, it, it just standardize your data. That's the first thing you got to do. And then have realistic assumptions. Never uh, assume more than a 6% appreciation rate, okay? In fact, if you want to be more conservative, uh, assume lower than that. By the way, Atlanta did about 10% last year, and, and this performance only includes 6 okay? And, and never say you're not going to have vacancy. You're going to have vacancies. And we always assume 8% or one month per year. One month per year, 8%. Uh, so, you know, your property may be occupied for three years, and then the tenant will move and you'll be vacant. Say it's not so good. Say you're vacant for two months in between. Well, you know, you're better off than 8% vacancy there, right? So that's a realistic assumption, we think. And we've tried that over thousands of deals for many years. It seems to be pretty close. And management fees, you got to put those in there. Even if you self-manage your properties, which by the way, you can do. You can self-manage a property from a distance, believe it or not, with with all of these tools, online tools that we have nowadays. Let me give you a great tool, by the way. Cozy. Cozy. C- yeah. Do you know about Cozy? I've it's heard awesome. of it. Yeah, it's great. Um, C-O-Z-Y dot C-O. We had the founder on my podcast, and they are revolutionizing the way rental payments are handled. Um, and, and it's free. It doesn't, it doesn't cost anything to use it. Okay. Uh, so C O Z Y dot C O. Let me just double check that domain name. I know it's not a dot com. So, um, it, you got to always say that cozy dot co. Okay. Yep. That's it. It's, it's beautiful. Great system there. Great tools. The other one is standardized data, realistic assumptions. Oh, maintenance. You got to have a maintenance assumption in there. And depending on the age of the home, we'll usually project somewhere uh, around 4 to 6% of the income being dedicated to maintenance, okay? So uh, you, you've got to put those assumptions in there so that, you know, you're not buying some high-flying thing that's just not going to come true in real life. Right. Well, Jason, wow, that's incredible information. And just to recap on what you're talking about, about the what investors need to look for in an investment property, and that's understanding that the data that is being presented is presented in a, you know, uh, a systemized way and not in an Excel spreadsheet. And it's easy to understand and read. Um, also, going back to your assumptions in terms of what the appreciation is, what the maintenance costs are going to be, and you know, we, we can go, we could go off into the weeds in terms about how you assess the expenses on individual properties. But I really, really liked what you said about making sure that the property makes sense from day one. And you know, a motto of mine is: you make money when you buy, and not when you sell. And if you're not buying something that makes sense or is a cracking deal, as I like to say, then you're going to lose money. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, but you talked a little bit about, um, and I want to just touch on how $85,000 for a single family property, what type of tenants would be um, you know, renting these particular properties? That's one of the biggest questions I get from international investors. They say, Reed, you know, at $85,000, who's renting this particular property that couldn't afford to buy it? Right. That's a great question. I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I might not have talked about that had you not brought it up. So great question. Properties divide into really three or four categories. We talked about the way markets 
are linear, cyclical, and hybrid. Well, properties are A, B, and C class properties and really D class properties too, okay? And and so this property that I'm talking about is a, a B class property because of its age, Okay. Um, but it's in a, it's in a very nice established neighborhood. There are lots of promoters out there and these deals look really good on paper that are selling C and D class properties in C and D and F class markets like Detroit. Okay. Which I would totally stay away from, by the way. And a lot of times, you know, there's that old saying, if a deal sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Right. And, and these deals, they look really good on paper. And the it's sort of what, what I call the myth of the $30,000 house, okay? A lot of these promoters are out there buying these properties for anywhere between $100. I'm not kidding, $100 to buy a house, okay, in, in Detroit. Uh, they're buying them for anywhere between $100 and $5,000 sometimes, okay? I mean, I don't know what they're paying all the time, but but believe me, they're buying these things cheap. Okay, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, even if they're paying $10,000, so what? They're reselling them for thirty, thirty-five, even $40,000. And here's the pitch. The pitch goes something like this. You can buy this property and you can turn around and either sell it or rent it or do a rent-to-own or lease option deal with your tenant. And even if they work at McDonald's or Walmart, they can afford to pay you three to $400 a month in rent. And that sounds pretty good, but here's what happens in real life. Okay. And, and we've looked at these deals and we've been tempted. And what happens in real life is that when you get a C or D class property, you usually get a C, D or F class tenant. Okay. And these people are just they're, a lot of them are just like the dregs of society. They just, they just don't pay rent. And they, they must intuitively just know, Reed, that because the rent is so cheap, it's not worth it for you to try and collect from them. You know, if you, if you have to evict them, um, you'll spend at least two months rent just on eviction fees to evict them. So the math, the economy does not work on these properties. It looks great on paper. And uh, some promoters out there will say, hey, look, you can buy this $30,000 house and you can even rent it for five or $600. But the reality is these tenants just don't pay rent, okay? Or they, or they thrash your house or they put a meth lab in your house. And listen, if you could get the way retail properties get what's called percentage rent, if you could get percentage rent on the meth lab, that might be okay. And <laughs> that is a joke, okay? <laughs> Just want, want to make the disclaimer that's a joke. Math is an illegal it. activity, you know, breaking bad, etc. But but it would be very profitable if you could right. do that. Right, uh, Yeah. So, so I hope the police aren't knocking at my door here anytime soon. Uh, and, you know, that that's the thing. Stay away from those properties, okay? Here's a, a good, like, rule of thumb. If a property rents for less than $800 a month, it's probably going to be problematic. Okay. That, that, I mean, may, maybe you could go as low as like 750. Okay. But if you get a tenant that's like a, a nine to $1,200 a month tenant, that's a real tenant. Okay. That's someone who probably has a family. They have kids in the school district and they're, you know, they're like a real tenant. 
that you can work with. Okay. They're going to, they're probably going to stick around. They're probably not too transient. I mean, look, you can have a mansion and get a bad tenant. Uh, Everything's individual, of course. And you could have a shack and get a good tenant, but the law of averages will go with what I'm telling you. Okay. (laughs) Those are just exceptions. All right. 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 Interesting. Um, And I, it still sort of begs the question and I I keep telling uh, all my international investors that, even if someone is paying eight hundred bucks or a thousand dollars on a single family property that's worth eighty five thousand dollars, you know the the mortgage on that would probably be less than than a thousand dollars a month. And, and so, why aren't those tenants paying that mortgage? And some people just don't, don't have good credit, or right. they just they got burnt in the last recession, and they just want to rent and they just want a clean, safe yeah. place to live. Right. Uh, and, and that's sort of what you provide, Jason. What I provide to my investors yeah. in terms of more the multifamily side, but. That's so, so Reed, that's ahead. another great question, and I think we should we should peel that onion back a little bit because because investors want to know, and it's a very logical question. You know, if they could buy this house and pay uh, the same or less than they're renting it for, why would they rent? Well, there are many reasons, and you mentioned certainly bad credit. Okay, lots of people in the Great Recession. Uh, got their credit dinged up pretty badly, all right? And so those people used to be homeowners, a lot of them, and they've recycled in back into the renter market. And some of them make very good tenants. You're not going to get a lot of renters with 720 FICO scores. Renters will have, they'll have a couple of dings. Maybe it was because of just bad luck or they've just, they're just not as responsible as a homeowner. Okay. And that's why they're a renter. This is your customer. Okay. Uh, that's great because if they were as responsible as a homeowner, uh, then they would be a homeowner a lot of times. But another reason is, um, in some of our markets, for example, where there's a big renter population, they're, they're transient. And I don't mean transient in the way I meant when I talked about C and D class properties and tenants. I mean, transient in the way that someone is, they move to say Indianapolis and they don't really want to live in Indianapolis. Okay. That's not really like, you know, some great city to live in. It's nice. It's clean. It's fine. But you know, it's kind of boring. Okay. (laughs) Frankly, I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not a high flying city. Okay. But it's a great place to be an investor. And I've, I've done many, many deals in Indianapolis. And, and so they'll move there and work for say, uh, you know, the big pharmaceutical company and they'll, they'll know that this is going to be like a one or two year assignment. And then they all, they're, they're not going to buy when they're, they just need to rent something for a year or two, okay? And so there's that reason. But here's, I think, one of the biggest reasons that people rent and do not buy. And it goes back to my days when I was 20 years old selling real estate part-time while I was going to college, is that when you move from renter to buyer, it always seems, at least in the mind of that person that's the potential buyer, that they have to take one step back to take two steps forward, okay? They, and, and, and the renter mindset is sort of an instant gratification mindset. These are people who are not as, and you know, this is a, a term I sort of coined, I call it financial immaturity, Okay. And, you know, when, when we become mature people, we can, we're patient. We can delay gratification. We can wait for results. When we're young, 
we can't do that. You know, we're just, our minds aren't, they don't work that way. We want it all now. Well, there are many, many children walking around in adult bodies, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sure we've all encountered them. Hopefully none are listening. Uh, but if they are, sorry to offend you. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, tenants, they got to save for a down payment, even though the down payments aren't that high, frankly. Uh, they got to they gotta not go on that vacation or not buy that new car or uh, not, not, not buy that new clothing or that new big screen TV. You know, they got to give something up to plan and make their life better in the future by being a homeowner. And a lot of people, it takes them a long time to get to that point. I mean, some people honestly never reach it. It's just what I call financial immaturity. Interesting. And you touched touch, touch on some incredible topics there because we've talked a little bit about the pros of what you need to look for in a, in a property. And we've also talked about the cons. And one of the biggest cons, I think just taking a step back, is understanding your tenant and, and getting that message across to the international investor who's looking to buy here in the United States that just some people are going to be renters for the rest of their life and you just got to accept the fact that an $85,000 property or $100,000 property, your tenant still wants to live there and still will pay you know, $900 to $1,000 a month, even though they could probably pay that same amount to uh, the mortgage on the property. But you just have to accept that this is their, their mindset and this is the way that they've been, you know, whatever they've been raised, uh, their bad credit or whatever it might be. And that's just the way it is here in the United States. And I think really getting that across to those international investors out there is really key because... And once the, the the penny drops and they get that, and that's what one of the hardest things I found when I first moved to the United States is understanding that why why they're doing this, why don't just buy it, is really really key. So, with that being said, you know, are you working, Jason, with any international investors here uh, to buy U.S. investments here in the United States? And and what advice would you give someone when they first start looking at U.S. real estate? Sure. Uh, so yes, of course, we have many international clients from Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, Middle East, a little bit, not as much there, uh, but uh, lots from Asia and just all around the world, frankly. And and my podcast, The Creating Wealth Show, has listeners in 164 countries. So we're very much attuned to it. And international investors are great. The, the American real estate market, uh, having been to 89 or not 89, 79 countries, and just got back from the United, the UAE, I went to Dubai. And I look at real estate in all these places. And I can tell you with certainty that the U.S. has a very special real estate market for many reasons. Number one, real estate has been subsidized by the government ever since the Great Depression here through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So we have the most mature financing market in the world now. People listening who are foreign nationals may say, well, look at what your financial crisis was. And you're right, okay? <laughs> but but what I'm saying is that it's a highly developed market of secondary market for selling off loans and, and the concept of the 30-year mortgage. That's really an American idea, okay? Uh, you know, Americans love debt, okay? <laughs> we we never want to pay for anything over here. Uh, so so uh, we have a very mature mortgage and financial market, as crooked and corrupt as it is, okay? Yeah, but uh, uh, that's another topic for another show. Uh, and And the other reason is we have very mature supply chains here. And so it, it, we've looked at a lot of foreign markets ourselves. We were looking at doing some business, uh, a developer in Melbourne 
was bugging us for a while to sell his properties. We've had tons of people wanting us to sell Belize and Costa Rica and Nicaragua and, uh, you know, a few in Europe and all, all of this stuff. And as I've gone around the world and looked at real estate deals in so many different places, what I've discovered is that you can build, even though our labor is more expensive in the U.S., because of the maturity of our supply chains and our commerce here, uh, you can build houses much less expensively here than you can build them in most other places. And the great example would be Belize and Costa Rica, two very primitive countries. And you would think, well, labor will cost you nothing in Belize or Costa Rica. But if you want to build a house there that is I would argue far inferior to your typical U.S. tract home, which is of much better quality in the U.S., if you ask me. If you want to build a house in any of those places, you're going to pay upwards of $150 per square foot, even though your labor is like poverty-stricken and will cost you nothing to hire your labor. And your house there will suck at $150 per square foot compared to what you can buy in the U.S. for $70 or $80 per square foot. So it's it's just not even a contest. I, I don't know how people rationalize investments in these primitive countries. It's, it's not a good deal. I mean, at first I, I thought it was too. And mm. I looked and it's not, okay? <laughs> so, you know, in terms of what to be careful of, well, all the things we mentioned, standardize your data. Don't believe the promoters. Yeah, a lot of them are just crooks and some are just careless and maybe just not picky enough about what they're promoting. And don't invest in pooled money assets. Be a direct investor and control your own investment. Buy your own property and it's yours. You, you don't need to be investing in a fund or anything like that where there can be all sorts of graft and corruption, okay? Just, just buy your own properties, okay? And uh, obviously have a home inspection read the home inspection and be be a little, have a healthy skepticism about things in general. I mean don't be you know really skeptical people never do anything and never get anywhere in life. You got to take some risk for sure. But there's a there's a healthy amount of skepticism. And just because someone tells you something doesn't mean it has to be that way. You know, everything in life is negotiable except death and taxes, right? <laughs> I completely agree. And thanks for giving that summary. That was really, really awesome. You're sort of a great podcast ho uh, guest, I should say, because you probably host your own podcast and that's why. But, mate, you've provided some incredible information and you're such a wealth of knowledge. Um, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? My website is jasonhartman.com, and that's J-A-S-O-N-H-A-R-T-M-A-N.com, jasonhartman.com. And then, of course, my podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all the, all the podcast platforms. Uh, usually just search my name and you'll find them. Uh, and uh, my most popular show is the Creating Wealth Show. And by the way, I have a bunch of shows on other interesting topics like longevity and biohacking, uh, just a lot of things. They're not businesses for me. They've just been an area of personal interest. And I wanted to interview all the thought leaders in these fields. So one of my really popular newer shows is called the Longevity and Biohacking Show. Quite interesting there. We're, we're on the verge read of, I think, making huge, huge leaps in not only lifespan, but health span, meaning living a healthier life for longer and then a capable life. And that is going to have wide ranging implications on the economies 
and and government budgets around the world as people live so much longer and on population growth and uh, huge implications for real estate investors. So uh, we tackle some of those topics on my Creating Wealth show and on my Longevity show as well. Wow, that's in, that's incredible. And I love that you have other passion projects um, out there. I'm definitely going to summarize everything that you've said on today's show on my website, you know, we will always do a show notes and I'll put it all in, in the show notes up there and at rsmpropertygroup.com. But, you know, Jason, I just want to thank you for taking some time out today to chat with us. Um, have a great rest of your week and, you know, we'll have to catch up soon. Well, thank you and happy investing to you and your listeners and uh, good day. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Well, there you have it. A great insight into just understanding the better pros and cons of different real estate investments here in the United States. And, you know, Jason has covered some incredible topics and he's just such a wealth of knowledge. He's been doing this, as I said, for over 20 years. He has a massive empire of real estate resources and great online free content. So make sure you go and check it all out. As I said, a summary of today's conversation will go up on my website, rsmpropertygroup.com. As always, you just got to click on the podcast tab. And I just want to thank everyone for taking some time out of their day to tune in uh, and to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because you know that's what we're all about here on this show, continue to grow your financial IQ. As always, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter by searching RSM Property Group or Reed Goosens. Uh, And remember to leave a five-star iTunes review below as we really would appreciate it as it helps us grow our community of international investors eager to invest in the US. We're going to do this all again next week, so take care, be safe, And remember, happy investing.